I'm Molly, and you're listening to Zetas Lapidus, a Mammoth Club original podcast. What's up, all you adults or rapidly Benjamin buttoning people? I'm Alan. I'm Molly. And I'm 17 now. Nice! Wow, that was fast. It sucks. Yeah, that's not the age <laughs> I would pick. W- wish I was 33 again. Yeah, it's so this much better. is terrible. Oh, God. <laughs> Everything is the end of the world. Nothing actually matters. <laughs> What music also, I'm being to? asked to make a $100,000 decision with absolutely no information. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, there's always the military. Um, and you know who doesn't understand? Parents. That's right. They what, music don't. You, what, what music is 17-year-old Max listening to? MCR. Evanescence. MCR. <laughs> My Chemical yeah, Romance. <laughs> Dashboard Confessional yeah. for graphic tees and wristbands. Ooh, a leather cuff. Mm, uh, more more the sweatband style oh. you know the green one with the life mushroom that said yes. one up on yep. it oh so specific must be real nice and this is zetus lapidus it un- unlike what that intro might have suggested this is the podcast where we watch every disney channel original movie or decom in chronological order and then spend way too much time analyzing them this week folks we watched the poof point the description for the poof point is as follows a bad experiment makes two inventors younger and younger. That's it. Uh, sure. I don't think that really encapsulates anything about what happens in this movie, but I guess that does happen in this movie. I guess movie. that's not... It's not wrong. It's just really not hitting on most anything, of it. It glosses over <laughs> everything else that occurs yeah. in this movie. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie was released September 14th of the year 2001. Mm. Yeah, we'll get to that. And I have to know, did either of you watch this movie as a kid? Absolutely not. I'm um, nope. That's a big no for me as well. And I'm I regret that I watched it as an adult. So I'm better for it. Are you? <laughs> well, for having not watched it. Oh, okay, that makes yeah. more sense. I'm a better adult because yeah. I didn't watch this <laughs> when it came out. True, true. The top song of the time was I'm Real by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule. Whoa. I'm real, what you get is what you see. Yeah, that's... Oh, it. Oh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that's what he oh. says in this one, but I, that's my jaw rule. <laughs> Fire festival! <laughs> oh, it, oh, it, oh, oh, baby! <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Yo. That was my favorite thing that has ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, yeah, that's wow. That's amazing. That's incredible. You're welcome. The top movie of the time, or the top grossing film Wait, of the time. Wait, hold on. I'm yeah, so sorry, yeah, Alan. It's just that when Molly does impressions, and they all sound like <laughs> either pain or panic. That one is, again, uh, pain from Hercules. <laughs> like, I just, every impression is either pain or panic. I only have <laughs> Look them all up. Yeah. If you're listening to this, think of any impression uh, Molly's ever done. It's one of the two uh, of those characters. I'm in tears. It's not incorrect. I'm in your most lugubrious nest. Oh, God. That's good. Woo. Okay, the top grossing film of the day was Hardball, starring Keanu Reeves. Oh, that's a good movie. That's a good <sighs> Never movie. Seen we it. love Keanu Reeves. Uh, right, so the only event that we can talk about 
when this movie is released are the September 11th terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center towers as well as the Pentagon. And actually on today, September 14th of 2001, the date of release of this film, not today, the date of release of this film, the EU had declared that September 14th was a day of mourning in response to those attacks uh, across the entire European Union. Um, And I guess kind of on that note, do you all remember, I guess this is a question we sort of think about a lot when it comes to this. Do you remember where you were when you found out about this, about this horrific event? Yeah. I feel like this goes, goes around yearly, very Mm -hmm. regularly. I, I, I used to see this more often when I was more, um, active on Facebook, I will say than I do maybe nowadays, but it felt like yearly people would just post like a location and, Mm. and no context because you just knew, you know what I mean? And mine would always say, uh, Mrs. Cole's seventh grade class, because that was the, that was the class I was in. I was also in seventh grade, right? What year did you graduate, Max? 2007. Okay. Yeah. We were, we're in the same grade. I was also in seventh grade. I was in, mine's a little bit weirder because I was in a study period and my teacher, my history teacher, uh, and homeroom teacher, Mrs. Hayes had allowed me and two friends to go outside into this little courtyard out Side the classroom so we could study together for a test we had coming up and during that time my one of my friends went to the student center probably wasn't supposed to uh to get a snack or something like that and she ran back and i grew up in atlanta in the city of atlanta and she ran back and said new york and washington just got bombed and the news says atlanta could be next oh my god because Atlanta was really high on the list of potential cities because the CDC headquarters are in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So then we rushed into the classroom just as the um, middle school dean was whispering to my teacher. So like mm. we were like the first people to find out. And then the, uh, she explained what had happened and started allowing people to use the classroom phone to call their parents if they wanted to. I was one of the only kids with a cell phone at the time um, just because they weren't as rampant as they are now and mm-hmm. i had one to go to the barn um a lot with and use for emergencies so i was allowed to use my phone and let my friends use my phone um and then i think we got out of school early but mm-hmm. yeah i was in seventh grade study period and i remember being just like terrified that atlanta was next and also my dad worked for the cdc so he was in the cdc building mm-hmm. downtown yeah i was in fifth grade because i'm the youngest of the three of us I remember getting released from school, not knowing why we were released from school. I also remember that my dad was set to travel that day because he used to travel a lot for work. So he was set to like fly out. Um, he ended up not. And uh, yeah, I didn't really, I remember the, the memory that sticks out to me is that like I knew the news was playing, but I wasn't paying attention to it because I was a fifth grader. Mm-hmm. And I remember going outside and just scootering like up and down a dead empty street and a neighbor coming at me like, you should go inside and talk to your parents. And I was like, mm. okay. Like, then that's, that's how I found out. It was like two or three hours after the fact because we had been released from school and taken home almost immediately. It's weird because I feel like we didn't get told anything. Mm. Um, we definitely didn't get released early. And I remember at like lunchtime, we would go to homeroom. And I remember that my homeroom teacher, Mrs. Rose, had the TV on and was like crying. But that... Business was as usual otherwise. Like, there was no acknowledgement at all. It just, like, the day went on. And I don't think I ever got told, to be honest. 
And then like I walked home, my, my house was close enough that I would walk to school. And then I kind of like found out and processed, but it was like four o'clock by the time I actually got information. We just, nobody told us basically. There was like chatter around the school, but there wasn't, I definitely remember like it wasn't, I didn't process it until that evening. I think that's very much the same. Like I remember ask, I have vivid memories that kind of come in spurts throughout the day. Like if I think back to that day, I get very clear snippets and then the rest I just like kind of just doesn't exist mm-hmm. in the ether and to sort of echo your sentiments as I remember like what happened and my mother attempting to explain to a, a fifth grader, like what is occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what do you hear over and over again is like, it's her explanation coming between like spurts of news. So I have very like, very clear recollections of some of the news segments and what was being Mm -hmm. said and what was being focused on. Um, And then outside of that, like all that I remember is just not uh, like not fully grasping the gravity of it until much like until maybe probably like throughout the next week of when you're going like, Oh Mm -hmm. shit. Like this has like far reaching implications that Mm -hmm. now your, your young child brain has to process that your world has changed. Don't want to dive too deep into it. But with that, are you all ready to transition at this moment and talk about this film that was released on September 14th, 2001, The Poof Point? Talk, by the way, talk about a tone switch for you listeners and for us as we're recording this. Talk about a tone switch as we transition here. So I apologize if it's rather harsh, but... Don't worry. We're millennials that have lived through disaster after disaster after disaster. We're very good at compartmentalizing around Absolutely. here. Absolutely. That's a that's a skill we all have. All right, everybody, let's package our feelings into a box. Yep, put those set away. Set those to the side. Don't need those anymore. And let's talk about You the- gotta, I, I think I am interested in the idea of the response or the return to normalcy is always interesting in wake of a tragedy. And the idea of like, well, this thing's scheduled to go out. Just put it out. You know, like... Um, yeah. Like what did Disney do at this time? Were yeah. They like- yeah. Disney response? Yeah. Like, well, and like, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, like, you're going to run the TV. I remember, you know, I, I, I know, Alan, we're transitioning. I will. No worries. I'm going to tell this story and maybe this will transition us because I think that it is appropriate for, for Disney and it's appropriate for us talking about this movie and the fact that this movie came out three days after and whatnot. When I was, a when I did my college program, I had the opportunity to take a class that was offered about entertainment production. And there was somebody that gave this talk um, as part of it. A bunch of cast members would come in and they all worked in different parts of entertainment. And I was just getting started with my career in entertainment and they were sharing their experiences. And there was a cast member that came in and talked about uh, 9-11. He talked about being there. He worked at Disney when 9-11 happened. And that the day after 9-11, he came in and that he, you know, he's a, he was a, an entertainment show producer. Like his job is to put on stage shows and like plan and help make them happen. And he came in and he was feeling so like his job was pointless. You know, that, that he was like, he went into the Magic Kingdom and he was just in this mindset of like, I should be, I should be in New York. Like, I should be helping people. Like, none of this shit matters at all. Like, none of this shit, the, the you know, the the shows that are happening, the like, none of this shit matters. Like, I should be in New York helping people, and it's hard to be motivated about 
what is happening in this theme park right here. And he sat on a bench and he, he told this story about how he just sort of sat and like he was on Main Street and he's just watching. And what he noticed was that like all the adults that were coming in were just like head hung, zoned out, not there, not present. But that every kid that was coming in was like pulling their parent into the Magic Kingdom and was like, Let, let's go. Like, let's, let's go ride this ride. They had no concept of what was happening. And that he would look around and like see people, like their kids sort of pulling them into this park and then them able to have these moments of like joy. That in wake of one of the most awful things that ever happened in our country, people were able to like ride these attractions and see these shows and find moments of joy. And that he realized that like escapism is important and that his job has meaning and value in the wake of a tragedy because that's how people are able to like deal with like the unbearable weight of sadness and, and, and trauma. And so that stuck with me for a long time because I also work in businesses where like, you know, there's nothing, um, when something awful happens, like a video game is not going to solve that, but it is the way people are going to disconnect and find joy. And, you know, whether it's going to Disney World or whatever, like, I think that even a dumb movie being released three days later can be like, if that's the way you can disconnect and, and escape, I think that's Disney's responsibility, right? Is to like give people something to watch that they can go, God, that movie was fucking horrible. Um, but it takes their <laughs> yeah, mind off of it for, true. you know. Uh, 75 minutes, which was about the runtime. And I know that because I counted them down. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just figured that's the only event that we should really talk about for this release um, and take a moment to acknowledge the tragedy that it was. And then thank all the first responders who, who went to um, aid on that incredibly tragic day and, and give our heartfelt thanks to those individuals and the families who are still reeling from the impacts of that, even to this day. So uh, our, our massive thanks. It's a collective reminder for all of you listeners out there, too. It's like, just remember that it's good to go and recenter yourself in the wake of these seemingly unbearable and, and uh, incredibly oppressive things. It's nice to have a, have a respite. Now, and if you need a respite, let's talk about a movie that yep. can help you disconnect. Less about the Question. movie, more, more, more about I, our take on I this. I wouldn't use this movie. This dumpster <laughs> fire of a film. So let's dive into it, right? Because, boy, I want to talk about this with you because I just have, like... Why with this entire year in DCOMs yeah. thus far uh -huh. has been a roller coaster of uh -huh. emotions uh -huh. as far as viewing goes. And this represents to me a new low point, not to give away my rating. Really? But, okay. Oh. I, yeah. I don't want to spoil. I, I am surprised by that, but okay. Oh, oh, we'll, we'll get into it. So let's talk about. The Poof Point. First of all, uh -huh. we should say that it is based on a book. I am really hoping the book is better. The movie opens with not only a voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of you immediately. But with Taj Maori yeah. as Eddie. Yeah. Standing in front of a, a chalkboard with bullshit mathematical expressions behind uh -huh. him uh -huh. talking and staring directly into camera, breaking the fourth wall and narrating his experience. And I thought, no, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought was that we were representing a class and that at some point we'd see the class. Nope. 
Sure weren't. We didn't. No. Nope. I thought this is us. a school project and he's going to cut to him in a classroom at some point. And that just never happened. No, he's he uh, he was schooling us. Not, yep. not, not only did it never happen. He was schooling us. That's he gave away the plot of the movie. He literally, this is. It's Quint. It's worse than Quint, and I'll tell you why. <gasps> not only is Taj condescending, not only is he condescending to you, he literally gives you the plot of the film and the ending of the film with some ending sequence shots. And he's like, I bet you wonder how we got here, which again, Quince did, but this is just like, stop, please, please stop. I don't like it. I remember looking over at my being like, can we turn this off? We are three minutes in. <laughs> I I, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't hate this one as much as Quince. I'm going to be honest in terms of the straight to camera exposition. But it is bad, and I did think of you immediately. I, I feel like if you need straight-to-camera exposition to explain your plot, you didn't do a very good job writing the movie. But you didn't need it. That's the thing. This plot could just be very simple, and then they fucked it up nope. by having Taj Mahal be like, let me tell you about what's happening here today. I mean, Molly, I can, I can confirm that they didn't do a very good job of writing this movie. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Yeah. Uh, and I have an Exhibit A coming up real soon in this, in this film. Mm-hmm. So after Taj Mahal gives away the plot of the movie, we join him in the living room of his abode as he is strumming on his guitar. I want to call this out now because this is true throughout and I don't want to harp on it. They aren't ever playing the guitar. They are <laughs> just holding That's the true. holding the guitar with the hand mm-hmm. not in a chord of any variety, standard or power, mm-hmm. and just wailing on the strings. If that mm-hmm. were to be what you were listening to, it would be a discordant sound, a cacophonous assault of noise on your on your head. Um, Even when they are playing a solo, they're still just strumming. Right. They're like not plugged it, into an amp or anything. It, it either, doesn't make any sense. It's no. Ridiculous. Then the camera begins wildly shaking because we have to establish that the parents are wackadoos and they're experimenting in the basement and that it's normal for the kids because their response is like, guess there was another one. And we're introduced to Eddie, who is Taj Maori's character. We are also introduced to uh, it is Marie. It's oh God. This is what's so annoying. They're Marie names, Curie, Marie Curie, and Edison Newton. Yeah. Oh God. And in response to this wild shaking, this brother and sister combo go downstairs, and you meet mom and dad, Norton, the father, yeah. and Marigold, the mother, where they are working on this machine, and there is a fear between the kids and the parents that the parents are going to miss their graduation. Now, I thought this was high school. No, no, no. It's middle school. You find that out a little bit later. I thought it was actually going to be like a real thing where you graduate from a high school and it has meaning. But no, this is some <laughs> bullshit where you're graduating from middle school. A, a real thing. Yeah. Like what the, what I thought this was going to be a real graduation. Like, no, by the way, not to take away from parents who have their kids graduating from, from elementary school. I graduated school. from fifth grade. Yeah, that, it was very impactful in my life. Horse shit. I it doesn't matter. I graduated two times. I'm going to tell you right now that, like, listen, it is an accomplishment. It was, it as was you sponsored can, by Dare. Neat. I bet it was. Yeah, it's, it, it really dare. was. I know. I, I had I a paint splatter T-shirt. Like, I listen. Can I, I res- get a cap and gown. 
<laughs> no, I had a dare t-shirt. I told you spots right there. You, you have to get your advertisers <laughs> front and center. Yeah. On that t-shirt. God, is dare a Southern thing? Cause I also had my shit sponsored by dare. I think dare oh, is an everywhere I, thing. I think it's gone now, but I could be wrong. Hmm. Listen, I'm not I'd here kill to, to have that t-shirt back up. <laughs> I'd kill to have it. Put it on, put it on a quilt. Shirt? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. And again, let me be clear. Listeners, I'm not here to disparage your child's education. I think it's great as they progress through the years. But also, like, why? I, I don't remember anything when I left elementary school to middle school nor middle school to high school. I was like, listen, there's only one exit on this. And it's after I've done 12 years of this. Like, <laughs> moving, moving schools. We're graduating schools. I actually had a graduation for middle school too. I'm I'm now remembering there were many graduations. I did not have one for middle school. I also did not have one for elementary school. So interesting. But I also changed schools a lot. So that might have mm. something to do with it. I don't think we had one in eighth grade either. Well, regardless, these children are graduating from middle school and they're worried that their parents are going to miss it. Another key dynamic we get to see right off the bat is dad's poor relationship with the dog named Einstein, who he refers to consistently as you mongrel. His first delivery of this will live in my brain seared forever. You mongrel. And I was like, he, these, this is not a, this is a robot in a skin suit. Honestly, mm. the, the way they treat the dog is a crime. They're so mean to that <laughs> sweet dog. He's so cute. And he just wants He's to hang out. Dog. He's and they're like, pup. get out of here. You mongrel. A couple of other beats that we have to establish before we go to the, to the graduation. Taj's character is auditioning for the Urban Slugs. Uh-huh. And this is where we're going to get one of my favorite lines in this film. Also, we're- I want to point out, I did a little Googling because I often think when they make the actors sing or play instruments, is that because this Disney Channel star is trying to jump into a music career? Mm. And on this occasion, I have to say, Yes. Oh, Taj Mahal released an album the next year. So I have to wonder: is his uh, inclusion of guitar playing? He didn't play the guitar though. Bass playing, whatever. Also didn't play the bass. Is that to? Did he come up with that? Like, did he mm. want to like start? Or is promoting? it part of the marketing yeah. machine? Exactly, because mm. every time they have a decom channel song, I'm like, what? Are, what's this about? What was the name mm-hmm. of his album? shine your light on me okay oh nice so my one of my two favorite lines in this movie that really set the tone for what to expect was when uh eddie is talking with his sister about wanting to get into urban slugs and he's very confident that it's going to happen and he says to her and if i get in to the band you're going to be so green with envy people will be calling you green with envy. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking got him. Get <laughs> right. Beautiful. Man, that is some high quality writing right there. God. That is really going to set the tone for what I can expect you, for the rest of this film. And there is another one later in this film that uh, does try to compete for worst line in the whole movie. I can't, I literally, I can't wait. Also, uh, can, can I point out that this is of an era where parents have a whole ass science lab in their house. <laughs> yeah. And, and pop culture of my childhood led me to believe that somebody's parents I know should have a whole ass scientific research facility in their home because we have this, we have um, the Wayne Zielinski, the Honey I Shrunk mm-hmm. the film. I feel like we've had another decom where a parent has had a whole ass like 
science production going on in their in their home and it just i feel like no one's parents i knew um were doing like groundbreaking <laughs> technological and scientific maybe maybe your house. friend's parents weren't yeah but mm. i just i feel like this is like a common trope in 90s and 2000s media mm-hmm. and it just it, it it never happened for me. True. I mean, imagine our dismay when our expectation is groundbreaking scientific research and what we get are Karens as neighbors because that's represented <laughs> in all of these movies. And I'm like, I see a lot of that. Yeah, it's like, oh, my neighbors. friend's dad is just like a marketing manager at Coca-Cola. Like, do you, do you have anything cooler to do or you trying you to make some a new free recipe? soda? We did get free soda at their house. Oh, that dope. was pretty dope. And I, okay. Well, I, I retract my previous statement. Because we'd always drink Surge. <laughs> Mm. Oh, <laughs> y'all remember Surge? I do remember God, Surge. That is why I have heart palpitations. Um, so, the last thing I want to acknowledge because this, as some, Max, I know you are musically inclined. I am. Something that frustrated me, and I don't know if it frustrated you throughout this, but the cavalier way that Eddie thinks that because he can fake play guitar means that he can fake play all instruments because mm. he was like, yeah, I'm practicing on my guitar, but I'm auditioning for bass. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Sure. Yeah. I'm having a visceral response to that. <laughs> no. Same thing. The way you play, uh, it's the same thing. They, the same they number play of strings. the same play the same role in the band. Uh-huh. Mhm. 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 This transitions as the parents go to experiment on Goldfish. We learn now that they have created a time machine. Man. They are attempting to go backwards in time. They want to send two goldfish back in time to 1863. I have some concerns about I, the implications here. I have a question. How are they going to know if they're successful? <laughs> the fish can't tell them. They can't go back to 1863 to find the fish either. You know what, Molly? That's literally a question I have considered, and I don't have an answer for you. Okay. It's inexplicable. Do they expect... It's stupid. It's fucking stupid, and it's going to fail. And sure enough, it does, because we, again, abuse Einstein a little bit here, more emotionally than physically. Call him a mongrel again, which, listen, nobody likes being called names. The dog, not the man. Yeah, the dog is called, is called <laughs> mongrel. Yes, the dog named Einstein. <laughs> Just disparaging <laughs> Albert Einstein the entire movie. That took me too long. What a fucking idiot out of here. How dare Theories him. of relativity. <laughs> still, still boggling us today. So Einstein, the dog... Bites out. What is this stupid thing called? Some part. It doesn't. The vector modulator. Just doesn't. Science words. Science words. He he bites out science word. Yeah. He just he gets a he gets a mouthful of vocabulary and takes it and puts it in his toy bin and it fucks the entire experiment up. Sure does. Leading the parents to be like, well, that experiment failed. We don't know why. And then they have this exchange. Well, we got to make it to our kids' graduation. The dad's like, what graduation? Yeah. God, they're bad parents. The the scene in the car did make me laugh. Cause the the kids are trying to tell the dad, like, please be cool. They're like, don't talk about science. Please like talk about sports and just be normal. Please don't embarrass us. And please be cool. And the dad goes on and he's like, I hate the word cool. It's like, do your homework. Cool. We have leftovers. Cool. 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 He's like on a rampage about the word cool. And he goes, you got that and Taj Mahari goes cool and I laughed that was like the one time I laughed because I was like that is a smart assy thing to do as a 14 year old mm-hmm. also that feels real yeah. yeah I I don't know that I had that exchange about the word cool but other words that yeah. it was like 
the parents would get upset about some word and you it's always this oh you know okay 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 whatever yeah yeah it's listen i'm sure i have other words in my rolodex they just don't apply right now and i don't want to give you that effort done what i thought was funny leading up to this graduation was the insistence that the parents know the daughter's friends like <laughs> you must know them you must know their names you, i'm gonna quiz you on it because i need you to know my friends names Did, what was your parents relationship with your friends like and did you care Alan's about to say some sad shit about how Alan's Goliath about, yeah. didn't have yeah, a lot of friends. I know. Maybe, I know. maybe skip me, yeah. and we'll just have Molly answer that. <laughs> I th- no, do you have an answer? I'm sorry. I really don't. You're- I have to think about this for a while. Hold on. <laughs> That's making me sad. Um, I think I have a weirder answer than most people probably would, or like a different answer, because I went to the same private school from kindergarten through senior year and most of Mm. my friends were friends that entire 13 years and like most of my mom's friends were their friends so like of my core group of friends i knew their parents really well and my Mm -hmm. mom more my mom than my dad knew them all really well but my mom to this day now is funnier about it because like a couple weeks ago i went to a bachelorette party and she's like who's bachelorette party and i was like told her and she's like and who was there? And I listed everybody's there. And she's like, why don't I know that name? And I'm like, I don't know. Because this person's been in a hundred photos that you've seen yeah. of my group of friends. This person's like been to my house a bunch. Of, like, I don't know why you don't know them, mom. Yeah. But like growing up, my mom knew all my friends. I think I'm somewhere in the middle where like my really tight friends uh, that I've been friends with forever. My my parents all knew them. But then I have like a bunch of other friends that they didn't know. That like I like I went to high school with it just I hadn't been friends with them since I was five, which is like my longest friends they that they knew really well I had been friends with forever, and then I had high school friends that maybe were a year older than me like I didn't meet them until I got into high school and my parents didn't know all them and I don't think I cared like cool that you know these friends that's great but like I'm also gonna hang out with these people I don't care if you know them like that's not important to me I just thought that this scene of like I must quiz my mom on all of my friends so that when we see them I can say mom you remember and it's important to me that she knows their names it's like I okay like whatever is important I guess I think that's a trope for dads too more like you see a lot of like funny TikToks and stuff about dads being confused and it's like your friend for 15 years and your dad's Mm. like who who are you but like I feel like my mom was very good at knowing who everyone was Mm -hmm. but my mom also love her she's a wonderful lady I'm an only child she's a little bit of a helicopter parent so she was very like who's gonna be there I think this scene is intended to set up something down the road but it does it really poorly what's one line that marie says that's like we don't like chloe she's our worst enemy Uh, she uh says that and that for me like i caught that and i was like oh that's gonna come up again right because the only they use the the friends like the gateway dialogue to get you to the the actual point of the thing which was done really really sloppily in my opinion but i that does pay off down the road the only other question i had before we get to the graduation is did we already establish the Karen neighbors? I know you mentioned it, but for some reason, this is another plot point. She yeah, warned in. They, they, they sprinkled this in as um, Marie and Eddie are leaving and they're looking, they look out the window and they see the neighbors next door who are all like 
who are actual robot people they're who are all dressed in the, they're all in the matching outfits <laughs> oh like God. playing in the street together weirdly like mom dad and daughter are playing in the street together and marie and eddie are, are wistfully hoping that they're wishing rather that they had that relationship with their parents it's all setting up that the parents are more obsessed with their scientific experiments than they are with like being there for their kids and that mm-hmm. they don't pay attention to anything that's not their experiments. And they're like, "Ugh, I wish we had parents like Lizzie's who actually listened to her and talked to her. Mm-hmm. And also at 14, do you care to Max's point? Like, I don't know if 14 year olds really care if their parents like want to talk to them. I mean, I'm sure that if you've never had it, you care. I didn't want it personally. I I didn't care. You know, I was like, leave me the fuck alone. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm sure that's, you want your parent. I'm sure you want your parent at your events, like graduation, sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, they're just watching the neighborhood kid and parents like have a conversation. And I'm like, man, at 14, most people just want to like do their thing and not talk to their parents. Play video games. Yeah, yeah. like. I, uh, the only thing I, I, I think only other note that I wanted to make here, I don't remember exactly when it happens in terms of like traveling to graduation or whatnot is the parents do scoot out of the lab thinking the experiment has failed right. and they got to go to graduation, but we stay on the lab and we watch the goldfish begin to de-age mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and get younger and younger. They're not going anywhere. They are just getting younger and then they start to get to an age that's very young and we hear the computer start to say out loud approaching poof point approaching and i thought i'm sorry it's programmed in the computer to say approaching poof point correct that that scientifically yeah we've called the destruction of a living creature murder the poof point. Yeah, yeah. All they, right. Yeah. Hey, whatever. Listen, let's got it. what it is, Max. They built a delayed murder machine. <laughs> That's what they did. They built a delayed murder machine um, that is a torture device because what we see happening, let's outline the powers of this machine that these mad, evil scientists <laughs> have created. <laughs> okay, let's talk about it. It's what it is. They have built a machine that de-ages you mentally and in physical space-time, but does not alter the size nor visible age of your person. But didn't it for the goldfish? Nope, did not. The goldfish stayed the same size. They did not revert back to eggs. They stayed yeah, the I, same well, size. Well, they didn't go back to eggs. That's that's 100% true. I have lots of questions about this when it comes to them aging. Uh, I have yeah. so many questions about it. <laughs> but with the goldfish, yeah, they definitely don't go back to like an egg stage. So, so they have built something that based upon your age and life cycle, de-ages you at a rate and then vaporizes you into the cosmos mm-hmm. you're gone approaching poof point approaching title of movie right they they are evil geniuses who have built a murder machine and then we'll get get to what happens later but we are now seeing that i mean they're about to murder two innocent goldfish I mean, like, like they wouldn't die if they sent them back to 1863. Like, I guarantee you, if some sure, they're farmer, dead either way. yeah, if some they're farmer, dead, they're, they're, they yeah. agreed that these creatures deserve to die for sure. Which is honestly, that's how it starts. I've watched enough murder documentaries over Molly's shoulder to know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we go to the graduation. What stood out to me here are is the, is as follows: your children, one of which has skipped a grade, 
Taj Maori's character because it's written into Taj Maori's contracts. I assume I don't know this that he has to be smart in everything that he's in. You have smart guy, you have hounded where he plays a smart kid trying to get into a prep school, and now you have him here in Poof Point where he has skipped a grade canonically. I, I think he also may have a clause that says must be in films where dogs are the villain. Yes. <laughs> Yes, so very accurate, <laughs> Einstein. He is a victim of being typecasted. <laughs> As both Eddie and Marie walk across the stage, they look to find their parents on their laptops, yeah. working through their science work and not paying any attention to their kids graduating, which yeah. felt shitty, like felt really bad. And to sort of put icing on the cake of badness, we go to the reception that has happened after this event where the parents are trying to be cool and meet the friends and then meet the other parents, which by the way, this is when the other parents, like the across the neighbor parents are like, they all but say, y'all are fucking weird. We don't like you. I mean, to be fair, they are being robots in skin suits at this point. Like they oh, 100%. Have, they've never interacted with another human being probably ever. Which just doesn't, I, I'm sorry. I, now I know things. But like, based on who we find out these people were when they were younger, on later, I just don't understand. I just can't understand how we're going to find out later in this movie. And I'm, I'm spoiling. We're going to find out later in this movie. They're like, dad is an expert level musician. <laughs> and that he can do sweet BMX tricks. And... And also is a scientist. And like, you're expecting me to believe that somebody that has studied rock music to this level and that cares about BMX biking can't have any conversation about things happening. Like, I just, I, 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 I'm so confounded. Yeah, this is the same character who walks up to his son, to your point, and goes, wait, did we? embarrass you what what he's like a well-rounded teenager yeah i i think this movie not that this movie is profound at all but it's playing into a a trope or a stereotype that i can't personally speak to but one of those stereotypes of like when you get older or become a parent or anything like that you lose your personality and your individuality and you like completely change who you are as a person because Taj Mahari's opening montage is like did you ever see what your want to see what your parents were like when they were your age and it's like not really but mm. um like I think they're playing into the stereotype of like they used to be so cool and now mm -hmm. they're weird science people yeah, it feels like a. It, I, I get where the movie's trying to be. It feels, and, and I will give it credit, that this feels like a Freaky Friday type, like teenager can't understand parent, you're not as different as you think you are. Like, it, it's playing into that, and I will give it credit that it's doing it in a way that I think feels kind of unique like i haven't seen this story told in this way before right like body swap for sure right like but parents de-aging through like it feels like a, a different try at this take once again 
I think that the theme of DCOMs that we've had is like they just try to do too damn much. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I really am starting to wonder if there is something to that when it comes to how they target their audience of like they know that they have to put 18 different things in these films to keep anyone's attention. And so they just throw the kitchen sink at it, it because that. that's how like, it, it feels that in some way all of these films are completely unfocused. Yeah. After we have this graduation reception where the the dad, as an evil scientist, once again tries to commit a murder by setting the pre- uh, setting the That's principal's true. hat on fire. Why does the principal notice that he's on fire? Listen, he's dazzled. Sorry, by have the you speech. ever used a magnifying glass to start a fire before? Because it the, takes for the, fucking ever. The speed and intensity <laughs> that this happens is unbelievable. But the principal stands there the entire time, literally on fire, and does not <laughs> react. He's nonplussed. At all. He's like, "What? Oh, why is my head hot? I'm not sure this guy should lead a school. It's a sunny day. He's not real observant. I'm standing in an atrium. This isn't smoke. Whatever." After, again, again, evil geniuses. I'm convinced that these parents are evil geniuses. Try to commit another murder. Go home. And then in the definition of insanity, literally the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. The parents sit down at the computer and they're like, well, the goldfish aren't there. That's weird. Let's run it again, Sam. Let's do the same thing. After you've had your computer system shout at you the following words, critical error over and over now listen i'm no scientist i'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination but even i know if a computer is shouting at me critical error maybe plugging in the same shit and running it a second time isn't the smartest idea Mm. but these evil geniuses yeah right seems pretty logical these evil geniuses reject all of that it was at this point at timestamp 1727 that Alan looked at me and said, how much longer? (laughs) 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 And I wrote it, I looked and then made a note of that because we had so much more to go. I was not, by the way, I want you to understand that I also have in my notes that I wrote, this is probably one of the most painful things I've ever had to watch. Mm. Because what occurs is these evil geniuses Reject all previous intellect. Run the experiment again with known factor that it will fail. They know the outcome is failure. And the mom stands outside the safe space where they stood previously. And as she is standing there, they are running the same experiment. You get this great special effect. Great is heavily slash S, like super sarcastic. I didn't think it was too bad. These beams of energy. I thought the CGI was okay. Transcend on Marigold. And sensing her fear, evil genius number two, Norton, comes out of his office and they embrace. (laughs) It's something out of the Titanic where they go together as they are enveloped in this CGI whirling energy. Here's my question. Uh Later... The computer says whatever the part that's missing, it tells them that. Yes, it does. Why didn't the computer do that already? What because is... that's not what the script says. <laughs> because at some point the computer's like missing, modular, meh, 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 like whatever the thing is. And that's how yeah. the kids know to look for that thing. Sure. Would but have been like, convenient if you knew now. Why wouldn't the computer say that 
the minute it's missing. Yeah, sure. It's like if I'm trying to print something on my printer and it doesn't have paper, it tells me that the first mm-hmm. time it knows it doesn't have this paper. Is very, okay, it's bold of you to compare your Epson ink jet <laughs> to, it's an uh, HP. It's a to, Packard, to right? a fucking time oh, machine, Molly, man. but... Uh, you're correct. My printer works better. <laughs> it works as intended. I think you're correct. Um, God. I, I, I just want to, speaking of things that are in the script, I got my own copy of this script. This oh, week. tell me more. What's yours reading? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important that we establish that uh, between the graduation here that um, Taj Mowry got invited to have an audition with the Urban Slugs. Oh, And yeah. he was approached by the Urban Slugs. And they uh, were doubting him. And, you know, in the actual script of the film, it said, uh, not sure if you've got the look, urban slugs have got to be smooth. All right. Uh, that's what the actual <laughs> script says. Uh, but I have my version of the script Max, right Max, here. And Max, uh, Max, <laughs> my version of the script Max. says, not sure if you've got the look, urban slugs have got to be White. Yeah, that's right. It says urban slugs have got to be white. They yeah, were that's correct. all a look. Because they were all white. Um, and all preppy. He, he stood out in stark contrast with the rest of the urban slugs, I will say. It's true. God, that's so bad. Okay. The parents are enveloped in this energy. The children run downstairs because once more, their home has been rocked by an earthquake. Because there is mm-hmm. no experiment without either A, a visual effect or be a physical change in the landscape surrounding you, disturbing mm-hmm. everyone in your neighborhood, which we find out later is a pretty violent disturbance for a lot of the neighbors. Mm-hmm. The kids run downstairs that they hear the machine announce that conveniently both mom and dad are 40. Conveniently. Not no mo. We're not having to, we're not having to like deal with two different age math. We're making it mm-hmm. easy on the audience. And that they have both been de-aged to 21. Mm-hmm. And you might think that this would occur once or twice to get the point across of these parents aging in reverse. No, this happens four times, mm-hmm. which is, I understand why we're trying to build tension, but what I can tell you, and we're going to get into it. Each of these sections is just shenanigans. Mm-hmm. All that happens is age appropriate shenanigans mm-hmm. for the 21 year olds. They are still very smart. They're going for their PhD. They, it seems that Norton and Marigold were together at the time, and they do not believe that these children, their children, are in fact their progeny. In fact, they say they're trying to, uh, the kids are trying to explain to the parents that they are 21-year-olds and 40-year-olds' bodies and that the year mm-hmm. is the year of our Lord, 2001. And they say... What year is it? Who's the president? And oh, they're yeah. like, this. do you really not know? This is why I don't want to have kids. And I was like, oh, shit. Whoa. <laughs> Imagine being the kids and having your mom tell you, I didn't want to have kids or I was reluctant to have kids. And I was like, these kids are going to need therapy because they already have a complex that their parents prioritize their science research mm-hmm. over them and now mom just fucking said it it's rooted in fact <laughs> it's also the implication is i don't want kids because there's a chance they're dumb yeah <laughs> that's true like I, what? I also just loved the response of the rod man yeah 
What, Our what? political hero, Ronald Reagan. Dude, I fucking can't. I can't. And, and then when we mentioned Nancy Reagan, she's hot, but not as hot as this laptop. <laughs> Dude. I, I loved sequence. it. I loved it. I also the like, Ron Man. I also like that they're explaining laptops and they explain where they came from and the dad goes you telling me silly billy gates made this i tutored him in chemistry <laughs> silly billy gates silly, silly billy, billy gates. gates on top of this bullshit here's the most disturbing thing like not the ron man not silly billy it's the implication that we the audience see these people as their appropriate ages of when they enter the machine so if you enter the machine at 40 you do not change in how you look to the outside world it's not benjamin button for but, this very reason but to you the person who was affected by the machine you see yourself as that age dude but, but this is they? where this movie has it's fucking snow white there's a magic mirror in this film because they go up to a mirror and they look in it and they perceive themselves he is dressed like prince and i i have so many questions about what the fuck is going on it's ludicrous like he's looking into a mirror and seeing something that is not there like it's freaking what potter is happening like it is how it's not he's not just dh if i got younger my eyes would still see the fucking world like it, it i don't and it's consistent it happens at every age every age they get a glance of themselves in a reflective surface and they see themselves as that age what they perceive everything else in the world normally except themselves? This sounds like a drug trip, really, is what it is. It is like they have been affected by some form of... Mind, obviously, it's a mind-altering drug. It's putting them into that age, right? They're being de-aged mentally, but not physically. I, This, to me... Like, there was a lot that was frustrating me about this movie at this point. Not to mention the fact that, by the way, listener, we're not talking about it on purpose because I want to keep skipping over it. But we consistently cut back to Taj Maori's character in front of that stupid fucking chalkboard talking to you over and over and over again. It, uh, we're, we're just not talking about it. It happens at least every 15 minutes. And I know this because every time I just wanted to put my head through drywall. But it affects, it's localizing and affecting their ability to perceive themselves only the themselves other, only themselves and perhaps the other person who went through the that's the even system. more fucking confusing i agree wait you're i didn't even fucking think about that dude it's crazy yeah they Holy can only shit. see each others as they perceive each other yes it's not even like they it's, it's not even localized to like i self-identify as a 21 year old and therefore i've they perceive the other person yes oh, Bro, I, that I, part doesn't even make any sense. Like, like what, what got me there is they have this mirror moment the first time they establish this, and then we get the most uncomfortable sexual tension I have ever seen in a decom. And we've had fucking strawberry lube before, and I felt we, better that's about true. that. We have, we have had that. I felt better about strawberry lube than this scene because the parents start an impromptu karaoke session with one another. Only the song that they know in front of their children as they start like. They're about to get busy. 
And they're doing it because they perceive each other as their 21-year-old selves and their horny, randy, 21-year-old brains are trying to get jiggy with it. Na, 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 na. And in front of their children. <laughs> you good, Mulse? Just Here's trying to figure question. out what to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a question. Yeah. I think a lot of time travel movies get it wrong. And I don't know what the right answer is. That's why I'm Well, this one you certainly guys. isn't it. I think they get it wrong in the how long does it take you to realize you've time traveled? Because there are some movies where people just fucking accept it, and uh-huh. there are some movies where it drags on the entire film, like uh-huh. this one. What do you think is the appropriate amount of time? Like, if, if you time traveled, what do you uh-huh. think the appropriate Without your knowledge. You, yeah. you are blinked forward or backward in time. Yeah, like 13 going on 30 or some other time travel movie. What do you think is the appropriate amount of time that you would believe you had time traveled? Easy answer. Uh, I need three pieces of tangible evidence that I am in a different time, which is either a newspaper, uh, a physical book, or a representation of technology that puts me in that time and place. Also, like the fucking setting. If I walk into a place that is observably different because based upon historical context, either past or future, I'm good. There are basically two schools of thought. Fact. Bears eat beets. Oh. Alan's answer is my favorite answer it's ever yeah, been given was... because it, I, I've already thought of this and I've concluded with an answer. And three distinct three pieces things. of evidence. One of them must be a newspaper or other type of news media. The second must be a technology piece. The third must. Be, like, and you wonder why I didn't have so friends. Good. Like it's so Christ. good. No, that was it's a good answer. That's answer. better than my answer. Oh. I don't. What's think your I, answer? I don't. I don't have one for real life, but I I think uh, you get 10 minutes in a movie or I'm out. Mm. I think if the joke, the joke isn't funny after nine minutes of like, mm. you should. Oh, that's why I don't like the movie 13 going on 30 because it takes her like the whole fucking movie to believe that she's actually 30. Like, I think that it depends in my real life answer. I think it depends on how big the jump is. So let me, let me give an example. When Cap wakes up, they have attempted to trick him, right? And he realizes like, oh, that I was at that game, right? He breaks out, he runs into Times Square. I think if you run into modern Times Square, having lived in the 1940s, what's the alternative? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's too fucking different. I think the one that gets hard is if you jumped a year, mm. right? Like, and conceivably nothing has changed. You know, like that's... It, it, I think that like the bigger the jump, the 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 more obvious it is that something mm-hmm. has happened, and also probably the more traumatic. The smaller the jump, um, the harder it is going to be to suss out, especially if you're in an environment that feels familiar, like because not that much will have changed. Three quantifiable sure. pieces sure. of evidence is foolproof methodology <laughs> for identifying that you have been translocated across the timeline so three pieces of evidence like it works it just works bears beats battlestar galactica i would argue that until the last 30 seconds of this film this is not a time travel movie it is a bonkers nonsensical aging backwards film as two evil geniuses face the consequences of their own fucked up experiment so these 21 year olds are now interacting with their children. We learn why, at this point, Norton is so verbally abusive towards Einstein because a dog ate his thesis paper. Ridiculous. And they begin to believe their children 
and go work to solve the problem. This is a consistent theme, by the way, both at 21 and then when we go to 14, not at seven so much uh, or two. But when we have 21 and 14 year old uh, Marigold Norton, the kids are trying to convince their parents to solve the problem because they're super geniuses. I'm sorry, evil geniuses. So the 21 year olds solve it. They actually solve it. And not only do they solve the, the problem, they're like, hey, well, here's the formula. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to run. They don't recognize the piece of machinery is missing, but they solve the other tangential issues. They also reverse calculate when they poof, when they die. So now we have a timer, 601 tomorrow. Right as, by the way, this is accompanied by an incredible science montage. We love a science montage. We love a montage, I would say. We do. They regress as soon as they are about to deliver the news of we've figured this thing out. Very good timing. Uh, incredible timing. And, and I, I just want to say <sighs> that this is why this movie is even as long as it is, which is not that long, which is that they just arbitrarily lengthen it because every time there's about to be a resolution, they start it over and it is infuriating. It is infuriating to watch because you watch basically the same 20 minutes play three times. It's so bad. So, so mind. Everything we just talked about with this last section now apply it again, but they are younger and uh, okay. We can skip to when they're seven. Like it's, it is like, it's, it's the same thing. It's just slightly younger and slightly different problems. Mm -hmm. It's the, the, the only nuances that are different are Norton and Marigold are in a contentious relationship, which is very much like the boy pulling the girl's pigtail on the playground, not know how to express their affection. Mm -hmm. Norton is playing the guitar. I'm sorry, playing in quotes, playing the guitar and BMXing, as you mentioned earlier. And, and they're trying to bond with their kids weirdly because they're the same age now. So they're having the same problems and the same conversations like the, you don't understand me moment. This is, yeah, this is the moment where the kids find their like relativity, right? I will also say this is the moment where we get one of the most 2001 lines that could be ever delivered when Norton says the line, I'm not fat. I'm just big boned mm. quote, Eric Cartman, South Park. It is nice that they just slipped that thing in that there, is isn't just it? Just put it in. Just, it's a South Park quote. Also, there's no good acting in this movie. <laughs> but it Accurate. was around this point where I realized the sister is the worst Marie? acting in this movie. Yeah. She is such an over-actor. Yeah. Also, she talks out of one side of her mouth and it drove me insane. Hmm. But she is a horrific actress. <laughs> like, every word out of her mouth is so overdramatic. Mm. It ends overdone. on like the, the upbeat, right? I can't believe that you're going to do that. What? It, it, she yells everything. I was like, oh my God. Ugh, it was, this, it was is, a lot. this is bad. But um, yeah, they flip flop. And the younger we get, the younger we get, I feel like the worse this gets. But the parents flip flip flop from believing the kids to not believing them over and over again within these 20 minute segments. Mm -hmm. It's like, they'll start to believe that they're really back in time and then they won't again. Well, they'll regress, which uh, seems to remove memory. So every time they were like, Oh, I, I believe and I'm working on it. 
right in that moment, they regress and now they're starting back at square one. And it's again, this, the last 20 minutes of the film slightly colored for a younger age and replayed. And like, yeah, Alan, to your point, like the, the, the progression, I guess, is you are seeing, you're seeing that Norton and Marigold were basically like an item forever. You're seeing different parts of their relationship, whether that was they're married at 40, they're dating at 21, they are, but they like each other, but they're not dating or like they're playground pals at seven. Like you're seeing that relationship and that it has gone on forever. You're seeing like different levels of relativity with the kids based on age. Um, you're seeing that like, oh, they were cool or they weren't cool. But like every time they're like, okay, we should work on the problem. Regress. Yeah, it's infuriating. The only here's the only two things that we we need to include in this this 20 minute segment of age 14. One, Marigold runs. B- both of the parents escape in this, right? The, the, the parents fly free from the home um, and Eddie is tasked with going to find his father and Marie is tasked with going to find her mother. And then is waylaid by the neighbors and what is a wild sequence that we can talk about in just a bit, just to kind of gloss over it. But Marigold is at a soda shop getting drunk on dairy and finds Chloe, mm-hmm. who he established earlier is the bad person that no, she's a gossip. Mm-hmm. And Marigold spills a lot of the secrets that she learned in a bonding session with her daughter earlier, mm-hmm. including that there is going to be an audition for for Eddie at their house at three. Now, this is sort of coming back around. Eddie only has one shot to make the band. It's a 3 p.m. audition for bass. So he better buy one because he doesn't have one yet. He's playing on guitars exclusively. And Chloe starts the gossip mill going to have a party happen at three at Eddie and Marie's house. I'd like to to discuss that scene with the neighbors because it's ridiculous. Okay. The Karen neighbors call over Marie Mm -hmm. and they're like, your parents are pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. And here's all of the things at our house that have broken because of your parents' science explosions. Mm -hmm. And they are physically dragging this 14-year-old girl around their house alone without her parents to tell her to tell her parents to stop it and i mm-hmm. thought in what universe is this how you try and solve this problem mm-hmm. i don't think you can manhandle a 14 year old girl in an attempt to tell her parents to be less loud neighbors <laughs> i also like the writing here because they have a, a daughter who Marie is, you know, uh, we, we mentioned earlier, she is a little envious of her in this relationship. She thinks she's cool. She wants to be her. And the daughter's like, your parents are a little eccentric. And dad's like, I was going to say freaks. And I'm like, it's just so extra. <laughs> it's crazy. And to the degree that they are trying to do something that you literally can't fucking do, which is evict somebody from a neighborhood for a house that they own and pay a mortgage on. Because they're kind of annoying. That that doesn't happen. If anything, you get fined. But you don't get evicted from your neighborhood for being annoying. True. Like, that That doesn't... Like, that Freaks. is ludicrous. Yeah. But they, yeah, we uh, kind of glossed over it. But it's... Yeah, I 
it is at this age where they all start realizing that the parents are kind of cool because mm-hmm. dad's going to help Eddie play the guitar and, and crush his audition. Mom and Marie are trying on clothes and talking about boys. At one point, mom like gives Marie a hug and she's all excited that her mom wanted to give her a hug. And it's just such a bummer because typically I like this trope. Mm-hmm. And this movie just moves so fucking slow. Mm-hmm. And you don't really care about any of these characters that like mm-hmm. it doesn't work. But it's a bummer because I like Freaky Friday. I like mm-hmm. Brave. Like I like this trope of we're not that different and you know, we can mm-hmm. all learn from each other and blah 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 blah. Your parents are humans too, and like parents don't understand what it's like to be a teenager. I like it. I don't like it. Keep and it. I like that this was a different take at it. I like that this was a different version of that trope than we've seen. It didn't feel it didn't feel like the other ones I've seen, but it was just not done successfully at all. Like mm. it just was poor. Agreed. So we cut to the party. The party that nobody knew was going to happen. The band shows up, opens the door to 130 people. How do we know that? Because that band member counted and just so happened to share that with us, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Eddie, I'm sorry. So we learned how many people were there. Aren't we lucky we were there to get all that information? It seemed extraneous at the time. Now we're now hosting a party that nobody knew about where the centerpiece is the audition for Urban Slugs. And I just want to say this. The audition goes off while the party's happening. None of these fuckers are playing an instrument. Like this again, they're they're standing there wailing. You can hear chords change and hands stay stationary. And that's just lazy to me. Just move your hand a little bit. I don't know. I'll also say there's a lot of ADR in this movie and there's ADR in like, you know, normally when they do voiceover, like we need to re-record that line. It didn't come through really well. They'll add it like when the character's head is turned so that it's not really obvious mm-hmm. that they are not. Nope. They just put the ADR on top of moving lips and the sound just changes halfway through the line. And it's no longer the person in your frame that's speaking. It's voiceover. And it's so weird that they just drop it in throughout the movie. It, Keep an ear out for it. You'll hear it. Like, God, it's like you're watching it. All of a sudden it go from like, from sub to dub, right? Like you hear it a hundred percent. Like it's, it's and it doesn't quite match. Like it's like when you're watching a movie edited for content and they are <laughs> editing out the R rated stuff in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like when you watch sex in the city on E and they have to edit out Samantha saying blowjob, and it's like her mouth is saying blowjob, but then she goes hand job. Like it's not her voice. <laughs> Yippee Kaye, Mr. Falcon. Like yeah. it's because weirdly, apparently hand jobs allowed on E, but blowjob isn't odd. Mm. I'd rather talk about bad dubbing on Sex in the City than the rest uh-huh. of the movie, honestly. True, but we can't. So I'm we a guy with the funkiest tasting spunk. I will say <laughs> it's a quote. Wow, Sex City. that's something. Um, speaking of. Uh, I, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I don't have anywhere. I don't have anywhere to go after spunk. I, I need. I need you to know that they they reference an energy ball invention in this moment, and it's built in a hamster ball that I owned, and that's all. <laughs> I, I said that's a hamster ball. I know that because I owned a hamster and had that ball, and they've made it into a weird invention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only other things that happen in this party are we have. 
a random white dude with dreads who gets a bunch no, of airtime no. inexplicably. Alan, he doesn't have dreads. He has braids because he just went on spring break. On oh, a spring break. He has like, braids. He looks like every kid that came back from spring break and has the braids from going to the Bahamas because their parents took them on a cruise for spring break. <sighs> and then you get convinced to get your hair braided. And then you get back and you're like, I have no idea how to get this out. And my scalp is sunburned. That's what mm-hmm. that kid looked like to me. Definitely not personal experience. Though. I actually never did. My mom would never let me do it mm. wisely. Mm. She's like, no, not going to be a good look for you. And also you're never going to be able to get those out. Right. So, so we have this, this dude with braids getting way too much airtime. We have the parents, the meddling parents trying to come over and interrupt the party. You have the no, daughter but, of I've, the interrupting parents show up and be like, why didn't I get the invite? And the girl, Marie, being like, we didn't even have a party planned. My favorite part about the parents is they're like watching this out the window and they're like, that Marie did this as a direct attack on us saying that her parents are too loud. And I'm like, you're giving that 14 year old girl a lot of credit. Like, I also thought that the problem was that their parent had a science lab, not that there were parties in the house. I don't understand how these two things are connected. I just think they're loud neighbors in general. Oh. But then, uh, yeah, there's this weird subplot of like the daughter, the neighbor daughter. I think her name is Lizzie, where she's like, they're like, you'd never catch our Lizzie at this party. And then sure as shit, Lizzie sneaks out and goes to the party. So then eventually when the neighbor parents go over there to bust the party, they're like, you guys are so obnoxious. Lizzie would never do this. And then Lizzie's like, uh, hey, mom. Hey, dad. And then she's like, I'm sick of having to be perfect. And I was like, why is this plot point here? Why are we? I'm here? so glad you referenced that point, Molly, because this is my second favorite line in the film. You know, earlier I mentioned this line about being green with envy. Let me give you this inspired line. Do you know how sick to death I am of trying to be perfect? Let me guess. Really sick. <laughs> it's. Just inspired. I am really blown away by the quality of writing. You know, we've talked about the A team before. They're pretty far down the alphabet, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, Max, I think it's interesting that you're disparaging the writing on this film so much. Uh I think Mm. if anyone had something to say about it, it would be Stu Kreiger, who Uh co-wrote this film and co-produced it and directed it. Wait, Wait, what? I would like to hear what he has to say about that. Maybe he had so many jobs that he couldn't give a his lot of whole <laughs> Stu come on the show into the writing, um, which is a real bummer because Stu has written masterpieces before, including The Land Before Time. So he can write. Oh, he yeah. can write a very, very good well, and cohesive film. I mean, when's the last time you watched Land Before Time? It has it's been a minute. True. I'm That's just saying, like he wore I'm, a lot of I'm, hats. I'm just, a lot I'm of just gonna to say, I'm afraid it doesn't hold up. Oh no! Oh. Don't say if that. I, if I know anything about watching decoms that I have a lot of nostalgia for, I don't have a ton of faith in Ducky. You know okay. what I mean? Oh. Okay, but here's the thing. He, <laughs> no. he also was, he's also credited as one of the writers on Xenon, Smart House, and Phantom of the Megaplex. Wait, what? Oh, well, then, okay, he has credibility. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. So what happened, Stu? What Come happened? Talk, maybe talk it's, just, it's just an anomaly. We'll call yeah. it an anomaly. We'll, we'll, we'll catch you on our follow-up podcast, The Land Before Lapidus. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, but, but in The Land Before Time, Pat Hingle serves as the narrator. He also uh, 
was later an actor in a masterpiece of cinema, Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby. You keep using this word. A masterpiece of cinema? I'm not sure it means what you think it means. <laughs> he plays Mr. Dennett Sr. in that film. Also in that film is Michael Clark Duncan. He plays mm-hmm. Lucius Washington, but mm-hmm. you may know him better as playing Bear in the hit film Armageddon. Oh. Uh-huh. 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 We got there quick, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Fast uh, one. Well, buckle up for the back half. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Good. <laughs> it takes up two pages. Uh, wow. In Armageddon, you know, there's so many things when you think about the success of a film, and for me, one of the things I always think about is the hairstylings. I uh, yep. I it's the fir- one of the first things I think. About. <laughs> and if there's anyone <laughs> whose hair I really admire in Bruce in a. Uh, in Bruce Willis. If there's anyone whose hair I really admire in Armageddon, it would be Bruce Willis's hair. Yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. Sets a high bar. He's definitely bald, but he had credited on IMDb his own hairstylist. It says <laughs> hairstylist colon Bruce Willis. <laughs> and that person. Maybe they shave him. Yeah, well, well, that person is Bunny Parker. Okay. Bunny Parker was also the hairstylist in a film called In Search of Historic Jesus. What? Oh. What? Was Star- she Jesus's hairstylist? <laughs> I have to know. All the apostles. Oh, <laughs> okay. wow. And Mary Magdalene, who was played by Annette Wait, Charles. you're not joking. That's... <laughs> No, no, she was the hairstylist <laughs> for all the apostles and she's, Mary Magdalene. She's the hairstylist credited oh. on the film. And when looking at IMDb, Jesus is in it. Mary Magdalene's oh in it. God. Mary Magdalene is okay. played by Annette Charles. Uh-huh. And you might have seen Annette Charles before because she plays Chacha in Greece. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. God. <laughs> Wait, you go from Greece to the uncovering the history of Jesus Christ? Yeah, she went from the slutty dancer in Greece to Mary Magdalene. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> anyway, starring oh, in Greece, I think uh, a little more memorable, perhaps, than Cha Cha, Danny Zuko. Yeah, mm. Travolta. John Travolta, of course. Ju- I, just, ju- I mean, just a little bit more memorable. A little bit more. A little, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, John Travolta, another one of his most prominent roles is Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Also in Pulp Fiction, a character named Pumpkin, played by Tim Roth, mm-hmm. who, kind of a fun coincidence here, also played Mr. Orange in Reservoir mm-hmm. Dogs. Mm-hmm. Not oh. a coincidence. <laughs> Are those two movies related? Yeah. I've never seen those movies. <laughs> no, You should. They're great. They're I, I would apply Masterpiece to one of them. <laughs> All right. I'll yeah. Oh, wait. No, I've seen Pulp Fiction. I lied to you just now. I've seen Pulp Fiction. I've not seen Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, the the belief, both are, of course, Quentin Tarantino films. The belief is that the uh, briefcase that Vincent Vega uh, goes after is the one from Reservoir Dogs. So it it is believed that all Tarantino movies are connected. The the uh, CTCU? The The cinematic QT. The QTCU. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Uh, well, in Reservoir Dogs, there's also a character named Mr. Blonde. Mm-hmm. And he is portrayed by Michael Marsden, who I know and love as playing Glenn in the Free Willy movies. <laughs> uh-huh. The okay. adoptive father of Jesse. Now, Free Willy 2. 
an underrated hit, I gotta say. Dare I say a masterpiece of cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just, what? Just, what? (laughs) It was directed by Dwight H. Little. (laughs) Who also directed... (laughs) What the fuck? Halloween 4. <laughs> the Return of Michael Myers. Oh my god. Also, I think oh, I would call a masterpiece. You know what? I wouldn't, but I'm glad you would, Max. <laughs> where, where are we? Where are we? We're at Halloween 4. Okay. We're at Halloween 4 where, um... Danielle Harris plays little Jamie Lloyd. Uh-huh. Plot, there's a big plot chest at the end with with featuring her. It's quite shocking. But I know Danielle Harris for playing Haley oh Wheaton in the not Disney Channel original movie, but the other version of Disney Channel movies mm-hmm. that we're not watching, Wish Upon a Star. Uh-huh. Which is also a body-swapping movie, but it's two uh-huh. sisters. She plays Haley Wheaton, who's like the dorkier younger sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... You know what? She did a great job. And oftentimes, you can thank the casting director. (laughs) Jesus. Because Jeff Johnson was the casting director on Wish Upon a Star, where he nailed it. Yeah. He was also the casting director here at the Poof Point, which Mm. maybe wasn't his finest work. But, uh... Wow, that bad. There it is. We hit many masterpieces along the way. (laughs) Yeah, I think again, uh, Free Willy. Free Willy 2. Not even the first, the second one. Free Willy 2. Halloween 4, according to Max. To be very clear. After seven and a half minutes, you have now been a part of a record breaking moment in Zetus Lapita's history. Congratulations to Molly for compiling the longest Armageddon to date. To Alan and Max for interrupting to drag this thing out, and to you, the listener, because it's the longest time it's ever taken me to get to this line, you've now been Armageddon. The part of the show where Molly, by no one's urging, has found yet another way to tie this decom to the smash hit, nay, masterpiece that is Armageddon. Don't tell her to stop because she won't. Oh, Free, wow. Free Willy 2 as a tagline, too, I think. It's, oh, yeah. Free Willy 2, the adventure home. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I gotta pee. It's not me! I didn't do it this time! Well, you well, pe- You and I both so peed prior. Max's love of Halloween 4. <laughs> Guys, I feel so accomplished! It really is sad that this is the bar set for me. Yep, just don't pee during the episode, Alan, and you're doing it. Oops, someone has to use the bathroom, so friends, let me tell you about a little place that I like to call Patreon. You can subscribe right now to get access to a weekly behind-the-scenes podcast featuring less peeing than this one, monthly theme park planning with Molly, decom watch parties to enjoy films like this masterpiece, Mammoth Mail sent to your door every month, and so much more. Check out patreon.com slash mammothclub. Again, that's patreon.com slash mammothclub. She's back with less on her bladder, so take it away, Alan. It is at this point that the parents regress again. They are now seven years old. The entire purpose of this shenanigan-filled escapade is to force all of the kids who are at this party that is an unscheduled, unplanned, unwanted party out of the house. Suddenly, suddenly, Eddie does not want the party to end because he is banking on his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of joining urban slugs. 
He seems to have forgotten in this moment that if he does not help his sister or his parents, that they will literally die. I don't think he's forgotten. I think he has priorities. <laughs> Priority Urban number one, get into the Urban slugs. slugs. Greater than all. I mean, I, I'm not, I might be an orphan, but at least I'll be in the slugs. <laughs> Jesus, that's the tagline of the movie. <laughs> right there. You've got to put it on a shirt. Yeah. Sell it. Send it. Eventually... The, the kids leave because the meddling parents are back. They say, hey, if you get everybody out of the house, we'll give your parents a second chance. We won't evict them. We won't call the police, which it wouldn't yeah, matter they if they did. They can't evict them. I think it's so stupid that the neighbors are like, oh, yeah, they we won't evict ridiculous. you. Like, you, you can't evict them. You can't do that. Like, no. No. So all the people leave because they need a plot device to get the kids out of the house. So they go searching for all of these things. Yeah, because now the computer has been like, yeah, like this hey, piece is missing. The, uh, now that we're at 30 minutes until poof point, the computer decides to remind everybody audibly what it said when they were 21, and mm-hmm. that is there's this piece missing. As the search continues, the parents de-age again. Mm-hmm. Now they're and, two. And we've seen scenes from this already at the very beginning of the film. As Eddie reminds us staring into camera, them being two, all I could think was how embarrassing for these actors. Mm-hmm. Because it's not, in theory, it could be funny, but this movie is so bad it's that it's just funny. embarrassing that they're mm-hmm. like, and the way they're doing it is just embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Like, dad Yo, it's crazy. pulls toilet paper all over the place and he's like, Nordy made a mess. And like, mm-hmm. mom gets food all over and it starts crying for her bottle. And mm-hmm. all I could think about is how there are have been several times that people have suggested to us that we should do a video, and since none of us have kids, that some combination of the three of us should act like children mm-hmm. to be the children in the theme park so we can do a video on what it's like to bring toddlers to the theme park. Yeah, no. And mm-hmm. as I was watching this video, I thought... This is what I'm going to show people that suggest that next time mm-hmm. because this is so cringy and uncomfortable. I hated yeah. it. I hated so... this. I hated this more than them being any other age because at one point the dad has to pee. Oh, that is that part. And okay, okay. That I, part, I am deeply dude. uncomfortable with that section, dude. but it is in the final moments that they, they find the part before that happens because. God forbid they don't delay until the poof point is literally about to happen. They need some some final disaster, and we get the most uncomfortable moment of the whole film. Is it when he, the dad horse rides Taj Bowery? Oh, that's not my least. No, no, no. no my least favorite part is moment. I need to pee pee. My and least favorite is horse ride. Oh, I, horse ride is terrible too. It's bad. I also don't like horse ride. It, the entire scene of being two is bad. But I said out loud when this section hit, and again, okay. But let's back up. We find the part because Norton cuddles Einstein. And apparently all Einstein ever wanted was affection from Norton. So Einstein goes and gets the part. They put the part in. They're about to solve everything. When they're about to solve everything, as Max, you mentioned, there's a crisis where Norton has to make pee-pee. And he he dances around and they Taj asks him, hey, Norton, do you know how to make pee-pee on your own? And Norton is like, nope, don't know how to make pee-pee no, on no, my own. Marie asks Oh, him, right, Marie. Oh, it's even worse. Marie do you know him. how to use the big boy toilet? And He's he like, says no. Eh, and no. I was like, I'm sorry. What? We're going to see a 14-year-old daughter take her 40-year-old father 
and instruct him how to go to the bathroom right now. That's what this movie is ending on. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen in any decom ever. I was so uncomfortable. It is so uncomfortable. What? Thank mechanic God. Yeah. That the scene is her standing outside and being like, you done yet? And she doesn't go in the bathroom with him because, oh my God. I also thanked Mechanic Jesus when they finally do open the door and his pants were up. Yeah. I was so afraid they were going to open the door and he was going to have pants around his ankles. Uh-huh. Do, uh huh. Let's. No. But so I got to explain to Horsey, though, because it made me want to die a little bit. Oh, God, I hate it. Wow. Taj Bowery's trying to get the two of them to get into the time machine. And he's like, come on, we're going to go play a game over here. And he starts like trying to lure them over. And. Norton goes, are we going to play horsey ride? And like shoves Taj Mowry to the ground and straddles him and starts bouncing up and down on him like, we horsey go, horsey go. Now I'm very aware that this is a game that children play with adults. I have played this with my nephews and nieces, but there is something very uncomfortable about a 40 year old man. It's deeply unsettling. On his 14 year old son. Oh my God. I didn't like it. I don't. Nothing in the final ten minutes of this film is. Do I like? And I was uncomfortable the entire time. <laughs> they because literally when they were shoving their parents into this machine, I was like, please end it now. End. Stop this suffering for all of us. Stop it. The kids somehow learn how to science and get their parents in this incredibly complex machine after having to do equations and correct things that the 21-year-olds did and the 14-year-olds did. The machine begins to whir and work again, and the parents are now back, and there has been a family bonding moment. The family unit is tighter now because the, the parents understand the kids. Also, I think it's important to pause here. As the parents exit this machine, they say out loud that they have memories of the time that they spent in those ages. I, what, what? The mom and dad are like, I have fuzzy recollections of things that I said and did while I was 21, 14, seven, and two. Uh-huh. The implications of that are wildly uncomfortable. You, you know what's crazy is that this movie is so ludicrous that the fact that the 14-year-old all of a sudden understands, like, quantum physics and, and string theory and all the science that it takes to fix this equation it's not even blipping on my radar no i'm i'm happy we didn't even mention it no like, we I, didn't even bring it up that marie suddenly understood all the science and fixed it the we line, didn't even because that, it's, it's not so even noteworthy low. it's so yeah so it's, low on the list of ridiculous yeah they explained it away with her brilliant line of i actually started to think like a scientist yep great quick question for you guys if you had we're going to revert back to one of these ages. Uh-huh. Which I'm, one? I'm actually taking 21 off the table because that seems like the obvious answer. Oh, you have to uh-huh. be 14, 7, or 2. Which one are you going with? Uh, I mean, I'm going to go with the oldest age. The oldest age. Even though it makes me incredibly uncomfortable to think about myself as a 14-year-old again. I don't want to be 7, I'll tell you that. Sure shit, don't want to be 2. For a lot of reasons. I mean, 14's middle school. That sucks. Yeah, two is an infant. I'm sorry, a toddler. I, I probably wouldn't remember being two, though. There, there, uh, none, none of them are good options. I think I'd be seven. 
I think I'd go back to a sweet age of like believing in Santa Claus and, and okay. happiness. But you're seven in your adult body. But I don't know that. We do. Max and I know. We're fully aware. But I know that I'm seven and I can believe in and Santa And when you Claus. look in a mirror, it behaves like magic. It's Yeah, I'm seven. <laughs> and even though you're, you know much taller than you would be and it doesn't even make sense that you'd be able how does it show you in the mirror uh, i help me understand you <laughs> you have a mirror hanging on a fucking wall that if you were as tall as you are when you're seven you wouldn't even be able to see you look into it and what do you see a giant seven-year-old you see nothing you wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to appear on the mirror max <laughs> yeah i think i'd be seven for a few hours just like playing with my toys and believing I think in santa the mirror thing is the most infuriating thing in the film. The mirror <laughs> so thing, bad. the mirror thing is the most infuriating thing in the film. And, and nor Nordy go pee pee is the most, <laughs> is the most uncomfortable thing in the film. Listen, and they both set a high bar. I'm just so happy at that in that moment. Like I am, I just am thankful that he didn't be like, Nordy got to make boom, boom. Like, I am just so happy. Dude, I'm just happy that Marie didn't go in the bathroom. I thought he was going to shit his pants. I didn't didn't think he would. I thought he was going to have an accident. I I tell him, piss your pants in the machine. (laughs) We're so so close to you literally being destroyed. Piss your pants in the machine. I I really thought that that was what was going to happen, not the taking you to the bathroom. I thought he was on the table, piss your pants in the machine. I thought he was pooping his pants. I thought that little dance he was doing was the poop dance <laughs> you know what hey get why is this in the movie kid in the machine to, to, to they, they got it. to the final five minutes and they went we need one more uncomfortable joke pee pee wouldn't it be make? funny if Marie needed to show her, her 40-year-old dad how to hold his dick and piss into a <laughs> toilet? Wouldn't, like, God, wouldn't, wouldn't like, that be better? Wouldn't that be a good ending? Why wouldn't Eddie take him? It's a great question. It's a, a, it's a fantastic question. question. Stellar question. Yeah, it's a fantastic question, Molly. I don't want to see... No one wants to see their parents naked, but I do think it's probably better to go with the same-sex parent. You know what? You know what? It's inexplicable. It's inexplicable, okay? It's so inexplicable. I, okay, they come back, and they are, they are now back the same age. They have family bonding moments. And then we end the movie on what I think is perhaps, again, an incredibly infuriating and very controversial ending where they are willy nilly now time traveling together as a family unit to very specific points in time where apparently Eddie went to play the bass for Bob Marley. And that to me says that they are fucking with timelines everywhere. And the ethical implications of this are astronomical. Well, you already called them evil. So we'll just They're evil you know, genius. call Mor- a spade Mor- a spade. Mobius from Loki is going to be all over their asses. God, it's true. This is a family of evil geniuses. And I... Kang the Conqueror. Yeah. Come wipe this family out. Is Kang. here. Come wipe them out. Jeez, they are they are the problem. They are creating the timelines. All right, that's how the poof point ends, everybody. That's the poof point. Of that the is poof the poof point. point. Yep, that's the poof <laughs> point. Thank God we hit this poof point. You know what? I'll lead us off this time. I didn't like this movie. I don't oh, know. Wait, really? Yeah, it's hard to believe. I, I, I might have stretched when I said it was worse than Quince. I think that Quince was bad because it had babies crying throughout. That just sort of added to the grading to this. I think if we're looking at the time spent listening to to crying sounds, uh, 
the poof point has a far lower ratio, which is making it a lot better. It's the only thing that would make it worse. Except for the fact that when you do hear crying sounds, it's actually 40-year-olds making it. Yeah, it's from adults. That's the follow-up. If you had increased that quotient even a hair and you have 40-year-old actors crying like children, I'm willing to accept it's babies crying. Like, totally cool. Like, that, that happens. Babies cry. But if it's a 40-year-old crying like a baby, hate that. Hate that a lot. Uh, I give this a 1.4. It is a movie that has a neat spin on a plot or or, or on a a trope that has been well established. That's the only reason it got above a one. Um, And then I thought the dog was cute. Justice for Uh, Einstein. Justice for Einstein. This movie was so boring. And I do agree with Alan that the only saving grace is that they spend the least amount of time as two-year-olds because I don't get embarrassed easily watching TV and movies. Like, I, I sometimes find that cringe humor, like, on The Office, very funny. That was so cringy between the horsey ride and the pee-pee and the crying. It made me so uncomfortable. I'm going to give it a one point, just, just a one. Just a one, because I, uh, that entire point is for Einstein the dog. Mm. Again, justice for Einstein. I have nothing new to say, too. Wow. Just like their age. (laughs) Nice. Well, lucky for us, this IMDb reviewer gave this film a 10 out of 10. (laughs) Oh my God. With the title, Awesomeness. Now, okay. let's get into this. I'm going to I'm going to tell you right now. This is an incredibly difficult review to read because it is mostly run on sentences. So I'm going to do my damnedest. You got okay? it. Okay. This movie is so awesome and if you think otherwise then you are obviously mentally disturbed. <laughs> Whoa! Taj Maori is more awesome than you'll ever be and this is a good idea on Disney's part and you should be ashamed of yourself for thinking otherwise. I must say that I love this movie. I think the acting was good and so is the production. When you have to come out with a different movie every single month, sometimes the movies may not be as good as they possibly could be. But I give two thumbs up. Wait. Whoa, Jesus Christ. But I give two thumbs way up to Disney and this fabulous film. I also think that this film inspires youths and even adults to dream of someday making a scientific discovery. (gasps) New sentence. This movie explores so many things that may have never been imagined if not for the witty and wise writers at Disney Studios. Mm. My favorite character in this movie has to be Taj Maori. He did such a good job with this movie and is a fabulous actor. There is no doubt about that. Taj also <laughs> does a fabulous job at all of his movies backslash shows, such as Kim Possible, Smart Guy, 17 Again, Smart Guy, Sister Sister, and Full House. He was born Wait, where to was act. Hounded? Where was Hounded? Yeah, this guy is not <laughs> the, the disrespect a fan. for Hounded. This guy thinks he's a fan? Yeah. Where's Hounded? He was born to act. That's the end. Written by Taj, Taj Maori. <laughs> My favorite is, is Taj Austin does a fabulous job in all of his movies backslash shows, such as Kim Possible, Smart Guy, Seventeen Again, Smart Guy, <laughs> Sister Sister, and Full House. The thing That's, is, he is good at Smart Guy. I love that show. I agree with her. When's the last time you watched Smart Guy? <laughs> so Pandemic. Good. He's when so Disney well. Plus came out, I was like, oh, let's see if this this holds up. I just love that it's so good he had to mention it twice. It comes in hot, though. This movie is so awesome, and if you think otherwise, then you are obviously mentally disturbed. Call me Dude. mentally disturbed, Ben. Yeah. Came out swinging. 
Yeah, 10 out of 10. Fighting words. Were, the, he was I, the best actor. I'll agree with him uh, there. Yeah. I mean, I, undeniably. Literally, yes. It, we cannot argue that. That's a crazy yep. review that we just had there. All right, what's next? Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge, everybody. You know, these sequels do feel like a warm hug, and I need a hug after Nordy's got a pee-pee. So <laughs> I'm Nordy gotta looking make. forward to it. So KJ, KJB is back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last time she appeared on our screens, the movie received the lowest rating we've given. Yeah. We'll true. see if this one comes swinging does again. Qu- does Quinn still have the lowest rating? I think it is currently tied with the Jenny Project. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I'd rather watch Quinn's. <laughs> Would you? It is tied with the Jenny Project. So we have had, let's just examine this. We had Xenon on the sequel, Motocross, Look of the Irish. Banger, banger, banger. Well, ish. Uh, banger. What, we gave, we, just to be fair, we gave Xenon a five across the board. Well, we're we gave Motocross, our average was 7.6. Okay. I, I think that's a good one, banger, right? Yeah. But Xenon, we gave a five. Let's be fair. The okay. original Xenon? No, 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 the sequel. sequel. Okay, I was like, yeah. Alan's talking about this year in DCOMs, right? Average. So this year in DCOMs, we got a five. Average. Motocross was a seven point six above, right? Walk of the Irish, four point one three. Average. Slightly under, but yeah. Yeah. Hounded. Hounded, one point three. In the gutter. Jet Jacks in the movie, six point five. Slightly above mostly on the back of my 8.5 rating correct yeah. and then the jenny project 1.23 tied with quince for the lowest ever and i don't remember our jumping ship but i think it was around a seven yeah it's above average but i mean it's like these last couple of decoms in a row has been this very up down feeling we've had mm-hmm. the highest highs and the lowest lows we yep. sure have so okay so we'll have halloween town 2 calabar's revenge i've never seen this movie so i'm looking forward to another halloween I class i haven't either this one I haven't seen this one. I don't know what it for as me. well as Halloween Town, but I've definitely, I think I've tuned, tuned in before. Well, listen, I am looking forward to going back to Halloween Town. That'll be fun. Hey, if you enjoyed this, please do give us a rating and review on whatever platform you are on. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you are following us on all socials at Mammoth Club or at Mammoth underscore Club. And until next time, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.